Дитячий сміх і сніг хрумтий, давай скоріше сюди. Згори санча та весело нас понесуть униз. Лунає сміх і сніг хрумтий, давай скоріше сюди. Бою двох полетіли разом в казковий край. Рожеві щічки і ручки замерзли, та нам не до них. Радіє все, і ми від щастя падаємо сніг. Давай ж бурляти сніжками грати, немов дітлахи. Разом в казковий край Послухай, як лунає дзвін Веселий дзвін навкруги Дитячий сміх і сніг хрумтий Давай скоріше сюди Згори станча та весело нас Понесуть униз Лунає сміх і сніг хрумтий Давай скоріше сюди Скоріше сюди, скоріше сюди, давай скоріше сюди. And the Khmelnytsky Police Big Band from Khmelnytsky, Ukraine, with the Ukrainian cover of Sleigh Ride. Вітаю вас всіх, шановні радіосухачі, на радіопередачу «Наш голос» радіо Кринського Коріння на радіостанції CHLY 101.7FM у місті Нанаймо. При мікрофоні Павліна. Добрий день and welcome to «Наш голос» Ukrainian Roots Radio coming to you on CHLY 101.7FM in Nanaimo. I'm your host, Павліна. On today's show, we have an interview with Jean Berezovsky of Ukraine Boramps and uh, he'll be giving us Ukraine's unique perspective on World War One, as well uh, 10 popular misconceptions on Ukrainian history, and that'll be provided by the Ukrainian news outlet, the Kiev Independent.
As well, our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest, and great Ukrainian music. And coming up next is a group from Winnipeg called Duet Marena, and this is a bilingual version of a traditional Ukrainian Christmas carol, Vefliemi Nesmeria, Mary in Bethlehem. Next, from the Nasholos Audio Archives, Ukrainian Food Flare. Hello. 
Chestnut trees abound in Ukraine, so it's not surprising that chestnuts are used in many Ukrainian dishes, sweet and savory, in combination with other vegetables and in basic bread stuffings and desserts. Tonight, I have a classic Ukrainian dish for you that is elegant and surprisingly easy to prepare and absolutely out of this world delicious. To make it even easier, purchase ready-cooked and peeled chestnuts. You can find them in most supermarkets and specialty food stores. Wedges of Savoy cabbage can be substituted for Brussels sprouts with equally delicious results. You'll need one cup chestnuts, three cups Brussels sprouts, three tablespoons each of butter and flour, one and a half cups chicken or beef stock, and salt to taste. Cut slits in the shell of each chestnut, cover with boiling water, and cook 20 minutes. Cool and remove shells and skins from the nuts. Slice them and set them aside. Prepare the Brussels sprouts by removing any wilted outer leaves and trimming the base. Cook them in boiling water to barely cover for about 12 minutes. Drain when done. Melt the butter, stir in the flour, and then the stock. Cook and stir constantly until the sauce thickens. Season with salt to taste. Combine the sauce, sprouts, and chestnuts and simmer for 10 minutes to blend flavors. Garnish with a half a cup browned buttered breadcrumbs. This recipe serves six. So try it. It's Ukrainian. And you'll find it in our new cookbook, coming out soon. This has been Ukrainian Food Flare from the Nasholos Audio Archives. Yeah, man. 
Боже всіх світу, радуйся небісна, не небісна я, чесніша я, владичице всіх небесних воїнств, радуйся небісна, не небісна я, всіх gorgeous Ukrainian chant was performed by the monks of Univ Lavra in Lviv. It is called Radusia Nevisto Nenevisnaya, which translates as Rejoice Unwedded Bride, and it is the Ukrainian version or translation of a Greek Orthodox hymn composed by St. Nectarius of Aegina in the late 19th century. 
and the song quickly gained popularity in the Eastern Orthodox world and was translated into several different languages, and that popularity is attributed to St. Nectarius being a very popular modern-day saint. We're going to switch gears now in genres. This is a recent release by Ukrainian artist Arkady Wojciuk, and it is called Shchislevo Rizdvo, Happy Christmas. Сніг за вікном, темно на дворі, час для мрій та казкових історій, сяють святкові вогні. Ти виглядаєш мене у вікні, забувши про втому, я клаплюсь додому, де гріє сімейне тепло. Зустріти щасливе різдво. Різдво Щипає мороз Щічки дитячі Терпкий аромат Напоїв гарячих Лунають різдвяні пісні Грають у сніжки Дорослі малі Це магія свята Літають санчата І кожен плекає добро На порозі щасливе різдво Нехай заметіль замете негаразди І щастя примножиться всім Сімейне різдво хіба є щось краще Усі за столом А потім мандарини, пледи кіно Ми телефон, зробимо фото, сімейний альбом, традиційно щороку там сяють святкові вогні, у тісних обіймах смішні я і ти, в насичені будні, згадай незабутнє, як добре усім нам було. Спасибі щасливе різдво. Нехай заметіль замете негаразди, і щастя примножиться всім. Сімейне різдво, хіба є щось краще, усі за столом, а потім мандарини, леди кіно. Це наше щасливе різдво. Up next, a commentary by the Kiev Independent.
For centuries, Russia has been imposing its colonial view of history on the world. Today, Moscow is using imperial narratives for its war propaganda against Ukraine. Ten Popular Misconceptions About Ukrainian History Number one, Moscow is the legitimate successor of Kiev and Rus. To justify its imperial conquest of Ukraine, Russia says that Moscow is the legitimate successor of Kiev and Rus. Kiev and Rus was a powerful medieval state that emerged on the territory of modern-day Belarus, Russia, and Ukraine. However, none of those nations existed as such at that time. The falsification of history dates back to the 12th century, when Andrei Bogolubsky proclaimed himself the Grand Prince of the Vladimir Stuzdal Principality. Russian historiography claims that the capital of Kiev and Rus was then moved from Kiev to Vladimir, and then eventually to Moscow. In reality, Kiev remained the most important city of the region until the Kiev and Rus polity was destroyed by the Mongols in the year 1240. However, Kiev was soon rebuilt and retained its importance in the following centuries, contrary to Russian claims. Number two, Ukrainians and Russians are one people. Moscow has repeatedly denied the existence of the Ukrainian nation. Instead, it claims that Ukrainians, Russians, and Belarusians are all a single people. From the 13th century, the developments of the peoples of present-day Ukraine and Russia followed different paths. Ukraine has been defined by its Cossack past. Zaporizhian Cossacks had their own self-government, with elections and a popular assembly. Meanwhile, Russia has continuously opted for autocracy. Through their centuries apart, Ukrainians and Russians developed distinct cultures and languages. Despite being part of the same regional subgroup, the Ukrainian and Russian languages have less lexical similarity than Spanish does with French. For centuries, Russia has been trying to wipe out the Ukrainian identity by banning its culture and language and by distorting history. In the Russian Empire, Russians even called Ukrainians Little Russians. The Soviet Union was forced to acknowledge the existence of Ukrainians, yet still portrayed them as a brotherly people, very close and impossible to picture apart. Despite decades of oppression, Ukrainians continued to cultivate their culture and finally broke free in 1991. Number 3. Crimea is Russian To justify Russia's occupation of Crimea and the subsequent invasion of Donbass in 2014, Putin has said that the peninsula is historically Russian territory. The myth goes that when Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev transferred Crimea from the Russian Soviet Socialist Republic to the Ukrainian one in 1954, it was a mere ill-advised gift. However, Crimea had zero ties to Russia before the Russian Empire annexed the peninsula in the late 18th century. The annexation forced hundreds of thousands of Crimean Tatars, the indigenous people of the Crimean Peninsula, to flee to the Ottoman Empire. Decades of oppression against the indigenous people culminated in the Soviet regime's deportation of nearly the entire population of Crimean Tatars, as well as Armenians, Bulgarians, Greeks, and other communities to Central Asia and Russia. Many did not survive the journey. Only in 1989 were deported Crimean Tatars allowed to return home, but their homes were already occupied by Russians who had moved into the peninsula. The vote for Ukraine's independence in the 1991 referendum and resistance against the Russian invasion in 2014 again showed that Crimea is Ukrainian. Number four. The Holodomor famine was a result of a bad harvest. 
The Holodomor, the man-made famine in Ukraine, is widely recognized as a genocide against the Ukrainian people. Though Russia says it was merely the result of a bad harvest, evidence proves otherwise. Forcefully included into the Soviet Union, Ukrainians were mostly farmers with a strong sense of cultural identity and attachment to their land. That's why they actively resisted the Soviet collectivization, or collective farming, imposed by Joseph Stalin. Stalin stepped up the effort to erase Ukrainian identity in Ukrainian villages in the region of Kuban, where many Ukrainians live. By implementing his five-year plans, Stalin actually condemned Ukrainian peasants to death by starvation. Ukrainians were forced to provide fantastically unrealistic amounts of grain to the state, and Stalin's Law of Spikelets forbade them to keep any food for themselves. The Soviets confiscated not only the harvest, but any foodstuffs that could help Ukrainians survive. Resistance and attempts to escape Ukraine were met with severe punishments, including execution. Receiving any help from outside was prohibited as well. Meanwhile, grain was stocked and exported abroad. The Soviet regime tried to silence any news about the massive hunger that was killing millions of Ukrainians. Number 5. Communism was a good idea with bad implementation. Some believe that communism is a great idea which has just not been properly implemented. But can it be implemented at all? Communism is impossible in practice as well as in theory. It is supposed to be established through a dictatorship of the proletariat, where the rule of the working class implies the erasure of the bourgeoisie. History has proven that any attempt to implement communism has eventually turned into abuse of power and the opposite of equality. In the Soviet Union, communism served as a cover for totalitarian rule that, according to historian Robert Conquest, killed at least 15 million people. Through terror, mass executions, deportations, and forced labor, the Soviets eventually gained the economic growth they strived for. However, the prosperity it generated only reached a narrow ruling class. But it couldn't last long. The communist ideal of a classless society was shattered by the USSR's economic mismanagement, lies, and complete disregard for human rights and freedoms. Number 6. Ukrainians are Nazis Russia has demonized Ukrainians ever since they made a clear decision to reorient their country towards the West during the Euromaidan revolution. Russian officials and propagandists often call Ukrainians Nazis and Banderites, referring to the supporters of 20th century nationalist Stepan Bandera. Bandera is a controversial figure in Ukraine. He was an ideologist of the National Liberation Movement that arose in response to the Polish rule in Western Ukraine and the subsequent terror of the Soviet regime. Eventually, Bandera became a fierce enemy of the USSR. Russian propaganda has continuously fixated on the topic of Bandera's collaboration with Germany, despite his being jailed by the Gestapo. So is Ukraine actually full of Nazis? Far-right parties are not very popular in modern Ukraine. In the last parliamentary elections, Ukraine's right-wing party gained only 2% of the vote, thus failing to pass the threshold to enter the Vorhovna Rada. Ukraine is one of the least anti-Semitic countries in Central and Eastern Europe. In fact, Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, is himself the Jewish descendant of Holocaust survivors. Number 7. Russia liberated Europe from the Nazis Modern-day Russia uses the Soviet mythology of the so-called Great Patriotic War in an attempt to monopolize the victory in World War II. Russia, the primary successor of the Soviet Union, sees the defeat of the Nazis as its own achievement, ignoring the role of other nations. 
The truth is that more than 6 million Ukrainians, as well as other members of non-Russian nationalities, fought in the Red Army against Nazi Germany. Ukraine suffered some of the heaviest losses in World War II, having over half of its soldiers killed. That is more than the losses of France, the UK, and the US combined. Hence, the Soviet Union's victory would have been impossible without the contribution of all of its former nations and the effort of the anti-Hitler coalition. Number 8. Ukraine is divided East versus West There is a common misconception about the implacable discord between Ukraine's West and East. This myth has been cultivated by Russia's decades-long influence in Ukraine. After the country gained its independence, Ukraine's pro-Russian politicians weaponized internal differences to their advantage. Ukraine is indeed a country of ethnic, cultural, religious, and linguistic diversity, but so are many other nations in Europe. Against its will, Ukraine had been divided and scarred by various occupation regimes for centuries, but the narrative about a divided Ukraine has been blown far out of proportion. Russia's all-out war has proven that despite certain differences, Ukrainians are united in their belief in Ukrainian independence and nationhood. Number 9. Ukraine is a project of the West. The Kremlin insists that Ukraine is merely a political project of the West created to undermine Russia. This narrative lives off of two myths. The first one says that Ukrainians have always actually been Russian, and the concept of Ukrainian identity was made up by Polish ethnologist Jan Potosky. The other myth says that Ukrainian nationalism erupted in tiny circles of Ukrainophiles in the Austro-Hungarian Empire, but was never widespread. This is how Russia has tried to convince the world that Ukrainians have never actually strived for independence. But many scholars agree that modern nations started to develop in the late 18th century. The Ukrainian national revival began shortly after. Despite centuries of oppression, Ukrainians preserved their national idea and eventually restored their independence. Number 10. Ukraine is culturally poor. Both Imperial and then Soviet Russia presented Ukrainian culture as something unsophisticated and worthy of scorn. In books, movies, and on TV, Ukrainians were often portrayed as silly peasants dressed in primitive traditional clothes, eating saldo pork fat, and drinking. The Russian Empire and then the USSR tried to erase Ukrainian identity, from banning Ukrainian language to carrying out mass executions of Ukrainian intellectuals. Despite repressions, Ukrainian culture has managed to flourish over the centuries, resulting in an endless list of outstanding names and their works. After independence, events like the Euromaidan revolution and the Russian invasion gave a new impetus to the development of Ukrainian culture and sparked international interest in Ukrainian traditions, music, garments, and literature. And that commentary was from the Kiev Independent YouTube channel, where you can find more information about Ukraine, past and present. Ви слухаєте наш голос Радіо Українського коріння, котре подається вам на хвилі CHLY 101.7 FM у місті Нанаймо. You're listening to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. Since 2014, Toronto-based Ukraine War Amps has been helping wounded Ukrainian veterans and the families of the fallen in Russia's war of aggression against Ukraine. Jean Berezovsky, co-founder of Ukraine War Amps, has been keeping us here at Nasholos updated on their efforts to help Ukrainian defenders 
and survivors of this brutal war. He joins us again for another update. Hi, Jean. Thanks for joining us. Uh, My pleasure. It's always my pleasure to be here with you on the show. Thank you so much. Well, um, last time we had sort of touched on in a previous interview, and we didn't really get a chance to to dive into it, and that is simply that, you know, history is repeating itself with this war. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess uh, our last talk was... uh, more uh, concentrated on events in Israel. Right. And uh, probably today we we can make a transition and go back uh, to Ukraine about uh, November, December events in Ukraine in uh, 1918, which is uh, very important for situation today. It's reflected in our situation today. Yeah, and it's interesting because uh, we just a few weeks ago uh, commemorated the end of the war in 1918 with Remembrance Day, and for the rest of the world, great war ended. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I just want to uh, ask uh, you, Paulette, and maybe your listeners, our listeners, if we talk about uh, or if we say World War One, what uh, European country we are uh, think of uh, uh, in the first place? Well, Germany, Great Britain. Germany, yeah. 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 And Great Britain, okay. So, uh, yeah, basically, after Germany, you moved even uh, more, uh, or even more on the West, yeah? And uh, today, uh, because uh, we are definitely want to concentrate on Ukraine and talk about Ukraine, I just want to kind of introduce World War One from Ukraine's perspective. Yeah, yeah, because a big part of World War One really was there was a collapse of empires. The Austro-Hungarian Empire collapsed, the Russian Empire collapsed, the Ottoman Empire collapsed, right? And but yet, as you say, the in the West we think of of as as Germany and Western Europe. Yeah, and you know whatever you mention, it's so right. And also that was essentially a start of World War One. In Ukraine, yeah. only where Russian Empire and Austrian Empire clashed together. Yeah. That was actually land of Ukraine nowadays. Yeah. My, and the yeah. uh, front line back then in 1914 was in a Western Ukraine. And uh, kind of in a similar way, we have a front line in a Eastern Ukraine today. Yeah. That uh, situation moved, and if you want to say, like, center or gravity moved towards east, and Lviv no more under Russian occupation, but Donetsk is. Yeah. And back then, that's a very interesting point, because back then, in event of 1914, in the Russian army, over 3 million Ukrainians were fighting the Austrian army, which included at least quarter million Ukrainians. Yeah. And that's where World War I began. And that's the lesson for us today. When it began in Western Ukraine, no one thought it's going to be World War I. No one thought it's going to be World War II. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, announced as a great war to end all wars. Yeah, right. But no one thought that that conflict, uh, two armies clashes in western Ukraine, going to spill over 
not in the summer 1914. So that's what I want to emphasize, that Ukraine was unfortunately in the heart or in the bottom of World War One. It was not Germany and definitely not the UK. Where everything started, it was Ukraine. And perhaps they thought it's going to be limited to that area. <laughs> that sounds... Or, or, yeah, but here is another question relevant today. Why Russia started that suicidal war? Yeah. Russian Tsar was killed in 1919 or, or something like that. Seven, 1917. No, no, yeah. he was, no, he wasn't killed. A year or two later, yeah. Okay. But he was in prison with his family. Right. They were alive to Lenin order to kill him. So essentially, Tsar's order to start at war was suicidal for his regime, yeah. for entire empire. Yeah. Why would he do that? Now we need to go back to those times and see what was going on in Ukraine, because that's where it all started. And Ukraine, under Russian occupation back then, Ukrainian language forbidden. Mm-hmm. Ukrainian culture essentially forbidden. And when we look at the Austrian side, just across the river. You see that uh, Lviv University lecturing in Ukrainian. Mm -hmm. You see that uh, since uh, Austria came to those territory, Ukrainian language never been forbidden. Books were uh, printed Mm -hmm. and uh, schools, even university were open in Ukrainian. Mm -hmm. We see certain levels of autonomy for Ukrainians in that part. And moreover, Lviv was the capital of Galicia, Bohemia kingdom. Mm-hmm. And that kingdom was essentially a, a part of Kievan Rus. Yes. And Galicia, Bohemia kingdom, that's essentially Ruthenian or Ukrainian statehood mm-hmm. that existed for a millennia since uh, Trent Volodymyr from times of uh, Volodymyr and uh, King Daniel. The 10th century, yeah. Yeah. So essentially, Lviv and uh, Galicia, they were part of Kiev and Rus, and they existed all the way till November the 1st, 1918, or November the 1st, which is Remembrance Day today, when Austrian Empire stopped existing. So essentially, when Central Ukraine was looking towards West. They saw their brothers and sisters living relatively in uh, liberty. Moreover, Ukrainian church back in Galicia was equalized with Roman church. Yes. Yeah. Right. So it was no, no, no question. Ukrainian language, culture, church, everything was green light. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the major sparks for the World War One. Before the war got to Germany, before it got to the UK, France, Belgium, etc. Mm-hmm. That was major motivation for Russian regime to start the war. As always, they look to the West, they see first president of uh, Ukraine, Mikhailo Grushevsky, he was a professor at mm-hmm. Lviv University. Mm-hmm. He lived in Lviv for 20 years. Moreover, he published and edited Ukrainian newspapers, magazines, 
etc. He was the head of many educational initiatives in Lviv. Why? Because he couldn't do it in Kiev. Huh. He graduated university in Kiev, but he couldn't work. As a Ukrainian historian, he couldn't work in central Ukraine because of Russia. He couldn't publish his books. His book was the book, History of Ukrainians. Yes. So for Russia, Russia always going to have that Ukrainian question. Yeah. And Russia has only one answer for that Ukrainian question. That answer includes Holodomor and all other disasters, the genocide, essentially. Yeah, they couldn't get Ukraine to stay voluntarily because they had nothing to offer Ukraine. And they wouldn't let them leave, like a battered wife. They wouldn't let Ukraine go and prosper, and yet they wouldn't help Ukraine help themselves to prosper. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it doesn't seem to have changed much over history. Yeah. I spoke to people from one village in western Ukraine. They call Russians Moscali, Moscovites. Right. Say uh, first coming of Moscovites, and then uh, World War II, they call it uh, second coming of Moscovites. Oh, really? But wow. World War One that's essentially first time when western Ukrainians so uh, Russian occupation force. Uh-huh. So so a century later. Uh, and people the rest of the world one does that doesn't know this history wonders why are Ukraine's fighting so fiercely uh, against Russia. Yeah. I want to emphasize and again it, it's uh, all this very relevant today Russia started that game. Mm-hmm. No one touched Russia. Russia unprovokedly mm-hmm. started World War 1 opening that front line in Western Ukraine. And Russian Tsar regime was only, after the beginning of the war, they kept uh, on running for two and a half years before Tsar was gone. So in uh, February 1917, the regime, Russian regime collapsed and provisional government came to power. And provisional government in early 1917, in March essentially, had to recognize autonomy of Ukraine. And Central Rada, the first Ukrainian parliament, Mm -hmm. was created in March 1917. But the Bolsheviks, Lenin, wouldn't let that stand for very long. Yeah, so essentially, since early 1917 uh, in Ukraine, we got a very interesting situation where essentially Ukraine People Republic takes its uh, roots. And Western Ukraine, we still have uh, Lviv as the capital of uh, Galicia till November the 1st. And November the 1st is actually last day of uh, Principality of uh, Galicia, Volinia, which is what left from uh, Kiev and Rus. Last day of that Principality is the first day of Western Ukrainian People Republic. Oh, so, ah, they are the inheritors of the Galicia Volin Empire. Essentially, essentially. Wow. And, then, and then we have uh, two months after, in January, Western Ukrainian People Republic and 
Central Ukraine reunite. Yes. And that re- reunion we can see today. You know, I was just thinking that as you were talking about that, the, the split between uh, Ukraine being r- ruled by Aust- the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the other part of Ukraine being ruled by Russia, and all kinds of political cultural differences. And yet, in 1918 1919, Ukraine were united. Just as now, Putin has united Ukrainians, Eastern and Western Ukrainians, like never seen before. Yeah, uh, you know, we all have different opinions, yeah? Everyone, every family, uh, every village, every principality, oblast, it's slightly Mm -hmm. different dialect, uh, culture, like dresses. Uh-huh. But that's what we call uh, diversity, you yeah, know? Yeah, exactly. That, that diversity, it's nothing else. Exactly. It's, uh, yeah. it's a beauty of uh, the culture. Well, yes, I mean, it's the differences that make it interesting, but yet there's, there's that unity underneath that ties it all together. You know, like uh, our community, every September, we're marching through streets of Toronto within a Ukrainian festival. Oh, yes. We all are different people with different opinions, but we march together. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's always huge. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, I just wanted, you know, in our brief discussion, just to bring our attention how centric Ukraine was for the World War One. And if ever we look into World War II, we'll see the same situation. Yeah. If you remember, World War II started war in, yeah. in Western Ukraine when uh, Russian occupied Lviv again and uh, German uh, went uh, all the way to, to Brest and Lviv as well. Where's Sudetenland? I thought that was like Czechoslovakia or something. Yeah, Czechoslovakia happened a year before in uh, 38 and uh, technically we don't uh, consider it part of the world war ii and yeah. isn't that interesting mm-hmm. yet yeah, people people say that that's what started it was when when germany occupied sudetenland much like putin annexed crimea in 2014 yeah yeah exactly exactly wow yeah Crazy. i just wanted to bring our attention back to the event that happened in the beginning and in the middle in the end of world war one and how similar it is to what's happening today and how suicidal it was for russian empire it was and here's the thing is the west didn't support ukraine then and world war ii happened hundred percent yeah and the west 100%. yeah and after world war ii the west didn't support ukraine they let they threw ukraine uh under the bus let stalin take over and then the soviet union happened then it collapsed in 89 and in 94 they bullied ukraine into giving their nukes up to russia they're surprised 20 years later that russia's invaded ukraine what's wrong with these people you know? Yeah. So, so we, we kind of going in circles. Yeah. And so, so the, the, the people that really suffer didn't want it, had nothing to do with it, are not causing it, but yet they're the ones suffering. And you're picking up the slack. You're helping as much as you can. We yeah. Put- and we ask everyone who, who want to join us and who want to help, welcome. Again, we run in since 2014, 2015, we run in very successful programs adopt a soldier where you help in particular Ukrainian wounded veterans and I care program where you can help a family who lost their breadwinner in a war and children of war. And nowadays we added Save Ukraine program. 
Save Ukraine program. It's a humanitarian aid for refugees, for Ukrainian families and children who left essentially homeless. Mm-hmm. And we do little things. Just recently, we purchased 250 pairs of shoes for children of Marienka. Marienka is nothing left out of Marienka. Yeah. But those children, and we've been in touch with those children for years by now. They are essentially locally displaced people. Right. they refugees inside Ukraine. Yeah, so we bought 250 pairs of shoes. We bought shoes now, winter shoes for elderly people, old people evacuated from Marienka. Again, those people, they were hiding in their basements for weeks and months, and not all of them survived. Uh, many of them found uh, and evacuated, and they left with nothing. So we do little things like that. We help uh, volunteers in Ukraine, our representatives in Ukraine. We help uh, buy food and deliver food to the front line. Mm -hmm. So we help with money for gas and money for food, stuff like that. I shipped myself. I bought uh, myself here in Canada thermal socks, two boxes. Because the winter is coming and the winter is uh, very harsh in eastern Ukraine. Yeah. So a lot of ways to help. We just need people who who is willing to help. Yeah. And uh, help anything like five dollar helps because mm-hmm. even five dollars can buy them four liter of gas or one pair of uh, thermal stocks, etc. Yeah. Yeah. So we we really need support from everyone. Uh, and every penny counts. Yeah. So how can people reach you? The easiest way, if you can Google Ukraine War Amps. You can find uh, a website and a lot of uh, materials about us, including this uh, radio show, I believe. And yeah. uh, our website, ukrainewaramps.ca. You can send us uh, donations on uh, PayPal. Each uh, transfer works too email address ukrainewaramp at gmail.com I said again ukrainewaramp at gmail.com that's the email address you can use write as a question or uh, if you're doing donation PayPal or e-transfer that's the email you need that's great and you're also on Facebook correct F- Facebook page everyday updated okay Facebook Instagram Twitter of okay. course have, have yeah. to yeah, okay. And everything I told, it's there. If you open it, you're going to see every two days you have an update. Okay. Yeah, and that's for 10 years. Yeah. You can uh, browse back for years and you're going to find everyday new information. Gene, you're doing amazing work. Thank you so much for doing it. Uh, it's, it, is, it is heartwarming as well as it's heart-wrenching that you have to do it, but it's it's heartwarming that you are doing it. So thank you. And thank you to everyone that's helped you so far. And I hope that more people will come on board to help and in, in helping, hopefully, somehow put an end to this horrible war and stop history from continuing to re- repeat itself in Ukraine to the detriment of the rest of the world. Yeah, thank you, Paulette. Uh, we are, you know, united we stand. Still yeah. Prava. Yeah. Slava Ukraini. Slava. 
п'ятий вечір, в сорок шостім році, по всій нашій Україні, плач на кожнім кроці, сіли до вечері, а діти питають, мамо, мамо, де наш тато, чом не вечеряють, а наш батько діти не кузахищає, де з нас That's another brand you find uh, for us here on Nash Holos. That is a group called Sumnei Svetevacher, which translates as Sad Holy Evening. And it is a traditional Ukrainian Christmas carol that was turned into a lament in the 1940s in Soviet Ukraine. And it spoke of faith in God, but also despair at the atrocities being perpetrated on Ukraine by the Soviets in the Kremlin and has been updated to reflect the despair of Ukrainians in their homeland today. It was performed by Zedhi Lezanovsky and he teamed up with Ridni in Seventeens and also Nastya Markiv. Again, it's called Sumne Sviate Vachir, Sad Holy Evening. Нагадую, ви слухаєте радіопрограму «Наш голос» радіо Кринського Коріння на радіостанції CHLY 107FM у місті Ненаймо. Не жаль, ми вже скінчили нашу програму, вже часто дому і сказати до побачення, але перед тим цими словами мудрості. Твоя тінь все подібна до тебе. And our proverb of the week translates as Your shadow has the same shape as you do. And that brings us to the end of another edition of Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on CHLY 101.7 FM, which comes to you every Wednesday from 11 a.m. till 12 noon. In between broadcasts, please stay in touch with us via our Facebook page. And for transcripts, audio archives, and a link to our podcast, visit www.nashholos.com. And of course, you can also find Nash Holos on your favorite podcast app. We're going to wrap up the show with uh, another Ukrainian cover of a popular Christmas Carol uh, from North America. And this is performed by Georgi Matvi, who will be performing live in Victoria on Saturday, December 23rd at 5 p.m. at the Ukrainian Center on Douglas Street. And he will be performing on Ukraine's national instrument, the Bandura. And no doubt this will be one of the selections you'll hear. I'm Pavlina on behalf of Oksana, myself, and all of us here at CHLY. Thanks so much for listening. Dozusirichi and Merry Christmas.
Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.